Hey, just wanted to get ahead of this as always to remind you that Cavalcade of Tales has adult language and adult themes. In addition, there is some discussion of uh, unsensitive topics such as um, murder and the death of children. And uh, if that is not your jam, I apologize and I will do my best to give warnings when they're about to happen. Alright, let's get into the show. Romeo, oh Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? Deny thy father, and refuse thy name, or, if thou wilt not, be sworn my love, and I will no longer be a Capulet. Tis but thy name that is my enemy. Thou art thyself, though not a Montague. What is a Montague? It is nor hand, nor foot, nor arm, nor face, nor any other part belonging to a man. Oh, be some other name. What's in a name? That which what we call a rose by any other name would smell just as sweet, so Romeo would were he not Romeo called, retain that dear perfection which he owes. Without that towel, Romeo, doth thy name, and for that name which is no part of thee, take all thyself. I take thee at thy word. Call me love, and I will be new baptized. Henceforth, I will never be Romeo. Weren't expecting a Shakespeare cold open, were you? Hi, everybody. Welcome to Cavalcade of Tales. As always, I'm your host, Drew, the millennial with a history degree, and I am here today to talk about tragic and forbidden love. That's right. We're talking some juicy shit this week. Um, as I mentioned before, I am trying out some new um, reoccurring segments on the show, and this will be the second one. This is called Trope Chat. Uh, the goal of Trope Chat will be to look at various uh, story tropes or character tropes that uh, appear a lot in various, you know, mythology, folklore, history, and fiction, and sort of weave them together and to get a better understanding of the trope as a whole. It's also an excuse for me to just uh, tell three stories, um, which frankly is the opus of this podcast. It's just an excuse for me to tell stories into a microphone. But yeah, this week we're talking about forbidden love at slash tragic love. I put these two together just because I had, when I started this top idea for this week, I immediately had six ideas. So, uh, spoiler alert, the next trope chat is probably also going to be forbidden or tragic love, or it'll probably be something different. I'll, I won't do them back to back, but, um, tragic love will return in the future. Um, and yeah, so this week is, and so Forbidden Tragic Love, I did it this way because I was looking at the two different thing, the difference between the two, and uh, looking at some of the uh, various things like on uh, tvtropes.com and general definitions, um, I wanted, I figured these two went together well because, uh, a forbidden romance centers on a love between characters that in the eyes of others should not be together, um, which will apply to two out of three of these stories. Um, but the reason these will all tie together is because they all end, well, most of them end, tra- no, they all end tragically. And um, a lot of people like to throw around the word tragedy. Um, not to say before people hop up on it that things that happen in the news aren't tragedies because they are hashtag gun legislation jesus fucking christ america put the gun down um 
but sometimes people will read a story and they'll be like, this is a tragedy. And here's where we're going to get on our first tangent of the episode, not even five minutes in. So a tragedy is defined as an event causing great suffering, destruction, or distress. Now, I wanted to do a whole episode on what makes a good tragedy, because there is a manga I read and love to bits, known as Tokyo Ghoul. Yes, that's right, 2013 is calling. Uh, Tokyo Ghoul, for those who don't know, um, is a series that takes place in an alternate world where there are humanoid creatures known as ghouls who uh, can only survive by eating human flesh. And the TLDR for the whole thing is that the main character, whose name is Ken Kaneki, gets a transplant of organs from a ghoul because they have the same blood type, making him half ghoul. Now, the beautiful thing about this story is that he says at the end of the very first chapter, if I had to describe my life in a story, it would be a tragedy. And the way Tokyo Ghoul, the first series, is written is a beautiful tragedy that I love to fucking pieces. It is the loss of a humanity. It is the destruction of man. It is just death and chaos around him. It is beautifully well done. (sighs) Now, don't get me wrong. Technically, an author can do whatever they want with their characters, and it is 100% their prerogative. But then, the author of fucking Tokyo Ghoul, whose name I don't know off the top of my head, released a sequel series called Tokyo Ghoul RE, which systematically undid all of the beautiful, tragic parts of the first series and gave the protagonist a happy ending. Don't get me wrong, I read the whole series, there's a lot, the person is a beautiful artist, the story crafting is very well done, but (sighs) he even repeats the iconic line during one of the final fights where he comes out fine, which is, if I had to describe my life, it would be a tragedy. And yes, technically, a lot of tragedies happen to this person, but I thought it was a lot more poetically done when we thought he was killed in the end. And this has been Drew's rant about tragedy. (laughs) But so I, yeah, so I wanted to do this, do an episode talking about various uh, tragic loves. Um, Also because um, I'm a low-key, a huge fan of like messy romance plots, whether they be, um, I've played, God, probably at this point, at least a dozen different dating sims of both genders, seducing people left and right. I actually have to redo, like, five of them because I lost my PlayStation account and I have to make a new one and get all my trophies back. Um, So I love me a messy romance. And uh, yeah, so I'm going to talk about three tragic forbidden love stories on today's episode. Um, This was a long introduction, but uh, let's uh, actually tell a goddamn story now, shall we? Okay, so our first story comes from the Norse sagas. Um... I want to say it's the Volsand saga. Um, I'm not 100% on that. Um, But this has to do... um, This is one of the casualties of something known as Anvari's Curse, which is something that was done to a batch of treasure. 
So this first story is the tale of Brunhild and Sigurd. To give a little bit of background on our key characters before we get into the story proper, there's a couple things we have to do. First, Sigurd is a brave knight who was able to slay the dragon Fafnir and claim the dragon horde. However, what he doesn't realize is that dragon's treasure is cursed with something known as the Anvari's Curse, which is doomed to cause destruction to whoever has it. In the Horde is a cursed ring, Anvaranaut, which uh, will come up a few times in this story, um, and also was most likely the inspiration to the One Ring of Tolkien fame, uh, partially due to the fact of the fact that Tolkien was a medievalist. Was he a medievalist? He was definitely a trans, a medieval like English translator. So he's done like translations of Beowulf, translations of the sagas, and he went and out to make a new story for England. Okay, funny thing that's going to tie into our theory on another tangent time. So, one of the things I do like about Lord of the Rings, because I'm pretty mixed on it, to be 100% honest, like, I haven't read the books, the movies are okay, The Hobbit shouldn't have been three films, but that's a whole other thing. Um, they just release a Lord of the Rings uh, magic set, and some of the cards really fucking slap, so that's fun. But, um... My favorite thing about the opus of creating Lord of the Rings is that there is... I can't remember if Tolkien said it himself or if it's just, like, agreed among Tolkien scholars that he made out to create a new origin myth for England because he didn't like that the big opus that everybody loves is Arthuriana. Now, mind you, it would make sense for anybody who actually, like, takes a second to think about it why... It's weird for the English to love a story so intrinsically that involves their king getting cucked by a Frenchman, but (laughs) I don't know. I also really like a Thuriano, so (laughs) I like a knight. What can I say? (laughs) So, yeah, and so what he did is he made the uh, Samarillion, the Hobbit, and the um, Lord of the Rings, and the Lord of the Rings is heavily inspired uh, bits and pieces from various mythologies that he worked on as a medievalist. Okay, so that's Sigurd, Fafnir's Horde, and the Cursing at Varanod. Uh, Brunhild, what you need to know about her, is that she is a disgraced Valkyrie. Uh, I believe she is an actual daughter of Odin. And what happened was she wouldn't allow Odin to have a soldier that he wanted. Because uh, as to do a quick thing about Norse mythology. Uh, The Valkyries' purposes is that they are the ones who go and retrieve the souls of the dead warriors to bring them to the halls of Valhalla to be in Odin's army. Um, As we remember from... I can't remember what episode number it is, but the one that's like, is there a multiverse where this makes sense? That there are three different places that spirits can go in... Norse mythology, like cosmology and mythology, you've got your noble deaths and your noble knights. Pun not intended on the fact that I've just been gushing about Arthuriana and then saying noble knights. Uh, But 
they go to Valhalla, and then those who died a good death go to the place that is run by Freya. That's na- I'm drawing a blank on the name of right now. And then those who died dishonorable deaths or who are shit people go to hell uh, with one L. So Brunhild, the Valkyrie who fell in love, uh, did not bring the person he was she was supposed to to uh, Odin, and therefore she was condemned. So she is trapped in a fiery keep. Uh, I wrote the name down. The castle of Hindfell. And uh, what it is is she becomes a strong, powerful sorceress, but she, unfortunately she becomes mortal. And the thing is, is that she will has vowed to marry any man who can brave the flames. Um, between their escapades, Sigurd and Brunhild were um, did fall in love. They uh, he fostered a daughter with her, and but however, because uh, Sigurd is a strong, noble warrior, he has to go out and keep fighting and keep exploring. So what he does is he gives Brunhild the cursed ring at Varadnot as a sign of his love and the fact that when he comes back from his adventures, he will marry her. And that's where we start our story today. Um, I know it sounds weird because it's like, oh, how is this a forbidden tragic romance? They're already in love and had a child. It's like, well, first off, she's a bastard, so that's going to cause some problems because this is ancient Norse times. And second, it's going to get good. So, as he was traveling, he came to the estate of King Gyuki. Uh, who made sure that Sigurd was welcome because he saw, ooh, this is a strong, strapping lad. I have a daughter who isn't married, and this man has uh, uh, gold from a dragon. So, like, you know, there's worse... There's worse son-in-law options. Uh, Because uh, Sigurd was very affable and powerful, uh, he immediately became friends with the king's sons Gunnar, Hogni, and Guturm. And, of course, the king's daughter, Gudrun, immediately fell for him. But there was one issue with her love. He would not stop talking about this other bitch named Brunhild that he was in love with. However, seeing her daughters distraught at, uh, you know, the man she wanted being already taken, and um, everybody else thinks he'd be a great addition to the family, uh, her mother, Queen Grimhild, uh, makes a magic potion. So, a fun little etymology i think that's the one etymology or entomology i know one is the study of bugs so the one that's the study of worms worms words god this is why i don't record in the morning uh uh, a fun word thing is in the anglicized versions of these names you can tell who's capable of doing magic by if their name ends in Hild. So Grimhild, Brunhild. So what she does is she's like, all right, my daughter needs to wed this guy because he's got dragon treasure. He's, you know, strapping young lad. We need to get that kind of blood in our family. So what she does is she makes a draught of forgetfulness so that when Sigurd drinks it, he will no longer remember his love for Brunhild. Now, normally, Sigurd ha- was trained by Brunhild, a special thing called an ale rune, 
which is a symbol you can scratch into the side of a cup in order to prevent yourself from being poisoned or come under the um, influence of magics. However, he felt so safe and he trusted um, Gyuki and his family so well that he didn't bother to. And chug-a-lug-lug he did, like the frat boys wanted him to, and boop, he forgot, completely forgot about Brunhild. It was like the memories didn't even exist. He stayed with them for a couple days and was given Gudrun, and uh, bing, bam, boom, they got married. And then he, she bore him a son named Sigmund. Um... Quick thing about names, also, I'm using the Norse names. This Parts of the story will sound familiar to anybody who is very familiar with uh, Wagner, Wagner's works. Wagner. <laughs> Wagner's works. Because he did an entire opera about the um, Cursed Ring and Veronaut called The Ring Cycle. In that story, uh, uh, Sigurd is known as Siegfried. Um, and it's... Uh, it's unfortunately one of those things that was used to create German nationalism and the rise of the Nazi party, but we're going to gloss over all that. Uh, so uh, after a little bit of time had passed, uh, Grimhild was like, it's time to play matchmaker again. I have to marry off some of these sons because I got three of them. So um, Gunnar, it's time to you to get married. And you know who'd be a good wife for you? The Valkyrie Brunhild. Now, this brings up a lot of holes. Did Grimhild just want to get Brunhild out of the picture because she liked that Sigurd was married to her daughter and it wouldn't matter because Sigurd and Brunhild would never actually wed? Did she forget that she drugged Sigurd? Was she worried about any, you know, reproach from Sigurd once, you know, he, if he remembered her? Who's to say? But she sure didn't mind asking him to go help him. So Sigurd and Gunnar go through and they is it's like it because they need to go face the fires of the castle of Hinfell. and gunner and sigurd swore an oath to each other that no matter what happens that neither would harm the other or do anything to harm the other on this journey so gunner was not worthy enough to actually cross the flames not at all um, so, of course, ever the crafty witch, Grimhild said, if there's any issues, here's a spell that will make you switch souls, because this is a saga. So the fun thing about the sagas, and why they're, ex they're fun sources, for me at least, is they are both folkloric sources and, uh, who also act like historical sources. So what's really funny is you can go through and there are, like, actual historical figures in these, like, um when you go past the end of this story, one of the characters actually meets and marries Attila the Hun. Um, but it's funny because you have to deal with the fact that, like, a lot of the stuff that happens in sagas are, like, actual technical historical accounts, but then they'll just be like, and there be magic. But, so, yeah, they swap bodies, and Sigurd in Gunnar's body rides through the flames. Brynhild is not too happy that this new suitor has come, and it claimed her chest because she's just like oi 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 I'm already in love with someone else and uh, Gunner's like yeah but I passed your test and you're not married and where's this other guy where the hell he's been and she's like well I haven't seen him in a while and my daughter does need a father so she begrudgingly agrees to marry him 
and gives him the cursed ring at Veronaut. And then, because of the time, she bites him to sleep in her chamber until the following day. However, since this is Sigurd, who just looks like Gunnar, in order to make sure everything's proper, because he's technically married to um, Gudrun, he lies a sword between them, saying that they should not uh, do anything till their wedding night. However, so later on, they uh, Brunhild comes to uh, Yuki's area and is ready to wed um, Gunnar. However, here's where things start getting juicy. Because of the prolonged uh, contact with the Cursed Ring and Veridnot, Sigurd regains all his memories of his time with Brunhild. But it is too late. Uh, he falls into a deep depression of this lost love that he can't believe he forgot. And this drives Gudrun mad. She is so pissed that her husband isn't technically in love with another woman. So, one day, Brynhild and Gudrun were bathing in the river. And Brynhild, not noticing that, like, Gudrun's been kind of, like, off to her and being, like, a little bit passive-aggressive and shit to her lately, is like, I'm gonna wash upstream from you because I'm a nobler woman because my husband is celebrated in his father's court and braved the test of fire, whereas your husband is living off his father-in-law's hospitality. Gudrun, immediately pissed, is just like, oh... My husband slayed the dragon Fafnir, and your husband couldn't even get through the Ring of Fire. He had he had my husband transform into him so that he could get you anyway. And then, to prove her point, she shows Brunhild the cursed Ring of Veronaut that Sigurd had. She said, oh, because if it was Gunnar, then why did Sigurd have this bitch? So... Brunhild, justifiably angry, leaves and doesn't speak to anyone. The next day, uh, so in this version that I'm telling, Gudrun kind of fucking sucks, but there is a way to spin this story if you tell the story of Gudrun as a whole, where she is a victim of fate and a lot of things, but because I'm talking about Brunhild and Sigurd, she's going to be a raging bitch here. <laughs> because... Not feeling like she won the argument properly. When she sees Brunhild uh, moping around the castle, she's like, Oh, what's wrong? Are you pining for a better man than the one that you married? And Brunhild just turns around and she's like, Motherfucker, motherfucker, you did not just talk to me like that. Oh, hell no. She's like, At least I didn't have to drug Sigurd for him to love me. He bore me a child of his own free will. And then Brunhild's like, well, at least I waited to marry him before I bedded him and didn't make a bastard, you fucking slut. So, so then Brunhild is like, I will kill everyone in this castle and you will all rue the day you crossed the Valkyrie Brunhild. So, uh, Brunhild, uh angry at the betrayal because she you know to be fair she had one rule pass my test and i'll marry you but you have to actually pass my test and gunner got her under false pretenses which means her entire relationship is a lie and like it brings in some very questionable things about consent so uh and gunner tried to calm her down she's like no fuck you i'm gonna kill you and she was put into chains and brought to the dungeons so sigurd is just like 
let me see if I can take care of this. So he goes down there, he goes to Brunhild, and he's just like, what do you want? And she's like, your heart's blood. Which is metal as fuck. And he's just like, I'm sorry, I was drugged and lost all my memories and then married another woman. Um, if you'd like, I could fuck you in this jail cell if it'll make you feel better. And she's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? No, I will never touch another man again. A man will never lay his hands on me again. I will make sure of it. And he's like, she's like, I have my pride and I will not be an adulteress because you think your dick cures depression. Uh, he's just like, well, what if I divorce Gudrun so that I can be with you? Because I do love you now that my memories are back. And she's just like, absolutely fucking not. I will kill everyone because I've been slighted. Which is like, I don't know. This might just be the way I was brought up uh, and as a vengeful bitch being like, fair. Like, I probably would exact revenge too. So, the next time Gunner came down to try to talk Brunhild down and calm her down, he was talking about like how he understands how she would have loved Sigurd because he's so strapping and so strong. He heard his, heard his dick cures depression. <laughs> And he's got all this dragon's gold, and he's like, "You wish I had dragon's gold." And she's like, "She's like, yeah, I should have known it was Sigurd instead of you." After all the, you know, furious fucking we did that night, you came. He came to the keep in your body. Uh, I should have known it was him and not you. And he's like, "Excuse me, what?" She's like, "Yes, of course. Yeah, we laid together. We were going to be betrothed. Of course, I. You know, you got to test the goods before you get married." And he's just like, "Oh shit, that's not cool. I got." cucked by my brother-in-law while he looked like me but there's also like the fact that the gold that Sigurd has is cursed and everyone kind of wants it so Gunnar sees this as an opportunity to kill Sigurd get the gold and not be a cuckold however he swore those oaths when uh, Sigurd went to go help him get Brunhild under false pretenses and he can't, so he couldn't harm him. But you know who could harm him? His uh, very quick to fright after, quick to fight after having a few drinks, brother Guthrum. So he gets Guthrum drunk and he's like, "You should have heard the shit Sigurd was saying about you." And he's like, "Oh, he fucking what?" However, Guthrum, being kind of a coward, um, instead of facing Sigurd head on, uh, decides to. And uh, if you are not okay with uh, discussions of death, I would skip ahead about 45 seconds. He decides to kill Sigurd and Sigmund in their sleep. Because this is a, not only is Sigurd this slight against him, Sigurd's fault, but if he doesn't kill the kid, then Sigurd's son, Sigmund, could come back and avenge his father's death. So after the deed is done, Gudrun uh, wakes up in her bed and is crying because of the events of the night before. And but a, a sound drowns out Gudrun's cries, and that is the maniacal laughter of Brunhild, because she's like, "Fuck yeah, I told you so. You fucked about. It's time to find out." So Brunhild makes her escape, and there is to be a funeral for Sigurd and Sigmund. And what happens is, is that they're on separate pyres because they're going to different parts. 
and Brynhild appears out of nowhere and lays down on Sigurd's pyre and is just like, burn me too, because at least this way we could be together in death the way we couldn't be together in life. Because she did truly love him, even if he did some shady shit. And that is the tragedy of Brunhild and Sigurd. So our next story for today comes from Celtic mythology. Because uh, everybody, a lot of the people I've talked to who've listened to this podcast really loved the episode on Ku uh, Cullen, and I'm really happy about that. I'm glad you guys liked some, and so I'm like, I gotta put more fucking Celtic mythology. I have this big book of Celtic myths on the fucking shelf, I might as well get to it. So this is the story of Dietermund and Grania. Now, anybody who, like me, is a big fan of the Fate series... Uh, the, it's like Fate Slash, so like there's Fate Stay Night, Fate Zero, Fate Grand Order is the mobile app that I spent way too much time and money on, um, but now I have the sunk cost fallacy, so I'll never get rid of it. Um, but, so in Fate Zero, Dirmund is actually the Lancer class. However, in Fate Grand Order, you can get him also as a saber, and he's like thicker, but that's something else. So, for a little bit of background, um, in this story, we're going to need a bit more background on Dearmund than Grania, because she comes into the story late. So, Dearmund was a Celtic hero who was raised by Angus, the love god, who in some stories is also a fairy king, and Mananan, the god of the sea. He was a master of the sword and lance who had a mole under his eye, which enchanted maidens, which was said to be a fairy, a fairy-kissed love spot, possibly because from Angus. He often either wielded two swords or two lances, um, and was a skilled combatant. So, in this story, we are dealing with the knights who joined under Finn MacCumal, who were the Knights of Fianna, who Dearmond was a part of. So, when our story starts, Fionn is in the market for a new wife, because his wife died, and he is very sad. So he decided to go around and he was looking for a new princess because, like, he's, you know, the leader of a group of knights. Obviously, he needs a princess. And he was, his sons went and found the princess Grania. However, so Grania is a very interesting little girl because she often turned away all suitors that she ever met because she said she had fallen in love with a mysterious knight with a mole under his eye when she saw him fighting but she didn't know his name or who he was then these knights come and they said you know one of our the member of our illustrious order wishes to be with you and her father you know explains it and she's like well father if you think he's a good match for me why wouldn't he be a good match for me and he's like perfect so you're betrothed uh however <laughs> grania comes to soon find out that uh she is you know probably hopefully like in her early 20s let's say and finn is like in his 50s and she's just like huh ew gross but no shit fuck i'm betrothed to an old man so she's like i need to get the fuck out of here so she starts talking with her druids and starts to try to figure out who is the best way to get her out of here and she notices a dashing young knight with a mole beneath his eye. She just goes to the druid, she's like, who's that? Who's that guy? 
And he says, well, that is Dirmund, son of Dubna, who is reputed to be the best lover of women and maidens in the world. And she's like, he'll do. <laughs> so what she does is she's like, go get me my goblet that ha- can hold enough wine for nine times nine men. So 81 men, I think. Hold on. It's hard to do that finger trick because I hold my microphone. Yeah, 81. Um, and she puts a sleeping powder into it. And she's like, make sure all the knights except for a few. All the high-ranking knights drink this. But leave the lowly knights because they're not going to stop Dearmund. And they get drunk and fall asleep. So she goes over. She's like, hello. My name is Grania. Like do you want to get out of here? What that dick do? And he's like, no, 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 no. You are betrothed to Finn. So absolutely not. I am not going to give you a good day dicking. And she's just like, well, if that's the case, then through your bonds as a warrior, I hold you to, and your chivalric code to protect me from an unhappy marriage and to make help my escape. And he's just like, why would you do this to me? She's like, because you made me fall in love with you when you fought of that beautiful battle below those many years ago. And I have turned away many a suitor, hoping one day to meet you again. And Dearman's like, well, fuck. So he goes and he consults the other knights. And he's like, look, here's the issue. Is it worse to betray your master or to betray a woman who has held you in your bonds of chivalry for unrequited love and they're just like oh fucking god they're like chivalry is the best man like this is fucking olden times and chivalry is like all that matters so even though you didn't invite Grania's love and her bonds if you don't you know help her you will die in disgrace you would die in disgrace not helping her more than the disgrace you would get from betraying your lord and he's like, okay. So he runs off with Grania. Now, Finn, justifiably, incredibly pissed off. So he chases after them into the woods. And he's just like, I'm going to find him. I'm going to kill him. And then I'm going to make sure that you know, we get married immediately so she can't fly away again. Because clearly the, what Grania wanted didn't matter. Um, so as they were chasing him in the woods, they found a mud hut with seven doors. So one of the men climbed into a small tree, looked inside, and when Deerman realized they were being watched, in order to goad the men into thinking, you know, reactively instead of, you know, calmly and collectively, he stole three kisses from Grania. And they're just like, all right, it's time to die. (laughs) So seeing the plight of his foster son, Angus comes out and he's just like, Listen, I can get you guys out of here. I will smuggle you out of here in my coat of invisibility. Deermund, however, is like, I'm no coward. I will face this challenge head on and I will come back to you. You use your cloak to get Grania out of here. Because, like, he's starting to get sweet on her. We don't know if this is a uh, love by proxy or Stockholm Syndrome. We're not sure, but maybe he just slowly got charmed by her. In most accounts, they don't actually do anything more, like, they don't have sex until the end, but, you know, this is olden times, and what they considered sex and what we consider sex are two very different things. Um, mouth stuff! Anyway, uh, 
So, Deerman goes to each door and knocks on it. And each door, the first six doors, it's all, Deermund, it is I, uh, insert night name here. I mean you no harm and wish to give you brotherly love. And he's just like, mm, yeah, fucking right. And then he goes to the seventh door, and it's Finn. He's like, Finn, I am extremely pissed off at you, and I am here to kill you. And he's like, I will come out this door, because you are a brave man who has made your intentions clear and does not try to trick me out of this hut. So he opens the door, parries uh, Finn's attack, and then leaps mirac- like very high up. Uh, one of the uh, big uh, traits of like a lot of these Celtic lancers is their insane ability to jump mar- like large heights to escape situations. Um, think like Dragoon jumping in the Final Fantasy franchise, where like they jump really high and then they come down with the lance to fucking skewer you. Uh, unless you do a perfectly timed dodge. I was playing too much Final Fantasy 16 yesterday. Uh, so he, get, he you know, does a miraculously large jump, and he's able to lose the men. And he meets up with Angus and Grania, and Angus gives him very specific directions. So I'm quoting directly from my book, which is Celtic Myths and Tales, which is not a very helpful title. So, quote, do not slacken in caution while Finn Macmail remains in pursuit of you. Never enter a cave with only one opening. Never take refuge on an island with one harbor. Always eat your meals in a place different than where you have cooked them. Never rest your head where you eat your meal. And wherever you sleep tonight, make sure you choose a fresh bed for the following night. You know, because he's going to keep chasing you. So, off they run. And they do this for uh, about a couple months, and then. But Grania isn't a strapping warrior. She is getting tired, and sh- they get to an enchanted forest, and she's like, "This is such a big enchanted forest. There's gotta be a chance for us to rest in here without having to worry about fi- running into Finn and his men." Uh, Deermund, seeing how tired Grania is, is like, "Okay, I will talk to the giant Sebaran." And see if we can shelter in these woods. So they go and meet the giant, and seeing how tired Grania is, the giant allows them three days of refuge in his woods. But they have, he has one condition. They can hunt and gather all the food they need, but they cannot touch the berries of the tree of Duros, because those are property of the fey folk, and they are not for mortals to consume. Grania, falling asleep on her fucking feet, uh doesn't really do much but Finn Finn but Diermund swears upon his sacred upon one of his swords that he will not touch they will not touch the fruit of the fairy tree meanwhile back at Finn's camp there are a group of men who come and Finn is already not happy to see these men he's you figure at this point he's been chasing the man who ran off with his betrothed for months and now what does he find a group of men who are the people who are the sons of the man who killed his dad and he's like what the fuck do you want and they're just like, look, we know our dad killed your dad, and that sucks, but we want to put this behind us. So, as a peace offering, we have the location of Dirmund and Grania. They are in the forest where the Tree of Duros lies, protected by the giant Sevan. Finn is like, look, you want my fucking forgiveness? Then you're going to go to that forest, and you have two options. 
bring me Dearman's head or bring me the fruit from the tree of Duras. So after, so the men enter the forest and they find Dearman and Grania resting under the fruit tree. And they're just like, okay, fight a giant or kill a random guy. We're going to kill Dearmund. But this is chivalric times, so they wake Dearmund up. And they're like, we've come to kill you on behalf of Finn. And by bringing him your head or the fruit of the tree, we will be able to make up for the wrongdoings of our father. And Dearmund's like, bitch, I'd like to see you try. Uh, so he very quickly not uh, beats up and restrains the men. And they're just like, well, shit. We're gonna die no matter what. So you might as well kill us. And he's like, I'm not gonna kill you guys. I just bound you in chains. There's no honor in killing somebody I bound in chains. And he's like, well, then fucking can we have some of the fey fruit so that Finn doesn't kill us? And Grania is just like, can I have some fey fruit too? And he's like, motherfucker, you guys are all gonna be the death of me. So... Dearman lets the knights free, and he's like, listen, you guys want the fey fruit, you guys are coming with me so we can slay the fucking giant, because clearly his hospitality has meant nothing to us the past few days, and they were going to kill him and take his fruit. So, they go, and Dearmund is like, may we have some fruit from the tree? And the, the giant, Stephan, is obviously like, what the fuck did I just say? No, you cannot have the fruit. And so he grabs a giant metal cl uh, wooden club and tries to bash the knights in. Uh, he does kill one of the uh, sons of the murder guy, whose name I didn't write down for some reason. Uh, but Dearmund, uh, with a well-placed uh, shot with a spear, wounds the giant's hand that's holding the club and then takes the club for himself. Uh, skip ahead 15 seconds if you don't like descriptions of death. Uh, and then he beats the giant's brains out. With the giant slain... It is now time to get some fruit. Uh, Grania says that the fruit... Uh, she got, uh, keeps a few of them because she says it revitalized her energy so much that she could travel for months like they had before without getting tired. And then uh, Dearmund gives a bunch of fruit to the men and they return to Finn's camp being like, look, we couldn't find Dearmund, but uh, here's the fruit from the fairy tree. Finn receives the fruit, brings them up to his nose, and he's like, I smell Dearmund on this fruit. You guys lied to me. He's like, I will uphold our end of the deal because you did bring me favorite. So I will not kill you for lying to me or for the fact that your father killed my father. But apparently, I have to go to the forest and do this job my fucking self. So off he goes. And he's like, it's time. He's shouting into the forest. He's like, Dearmond! Dearmond, I will kill you, motherfucker. And, but like an Irish. <laughs> and so Dearmond's like, okay, we're going to hide in a tree. And Angus comes and he's like, all right, here's the plan. I go, every time one of these men come up to this tree, I just need you to make them fall out of the tree. I'll take care of the rest. So Dearmond's like, 10-4, magic dad. And so once they figured out which tree Dearmond was in, uh, Finn armed with his best generals, starts sending his generals up the tree. Dietermund, having like the home field advantage, would kick the man out of the tree, and as they fell from the tree, Angus would make their form look like they were Dietermund. When the man hit the ground, Finn would ride over and slice his head off, thinking he had killed Dietermund. And then, poof, 
It's, oh, shit, it's actually one of his generals. Um, not learning a lesson, obviously. Um, they do this, like, five times. So at this point, Finn has killed five of his own men inadvertently. And he's, and especially a lot of his, you know, very good generals. So when F- Dearman says, we can negotiate, or I can come down there and kill you all, Finn is tired of all the bloodshed. He's like, fine, we can negotiate. So, between Angus, Finn, and Dearmund, a negotiation was made. Grania would be allowed to marry Dearmund, and they could live happily in, I want to say, Kerry is where the books that they would go live to. And uh, Finn went to Grania's father and uh, said that, like, to get them a pardon and to get the father's blessing for Dearmund to marry Grania. Now, normally, this would be the fun part where they say they lived happily ever after. However, they didn't. Because uh, shortly after they were married, Dearmond was called upon because of his great skill. You know, he just evaded, you know, the bravest knights of, of Finn's knights for, you know, months in the forest. To assist in the hunting of a demonic boar. Thinking this would be an easy fight, Dearmond didn't bring his more powerful weapons. He brought his, you know, like, backup weapons. And he was injured by the boar. Normally, the type of injury that killed Dietermund would not have been the injury that would have killed him. Because if he had seen a doctor, they would have patched him up and he wouldn't have bled out. However, Finn was still very pissed off that his wife was stolen by this young knight. So he left him there to die. And that is how the story of Dietermund and Grania end. And now to do a quick ad break. Hi. Do you like this podcast? I hope you do. If you really like this podcast, uh, would you consider giving it five stars and leaving it a review on the podcatcher of your choice? Also, if you'd like to help in more ways than that, um, you could recommend it to a friend or even support us on Patreon. Uh, Cavalcade of Tales is on Patreon currently. Uh, you can find that website, patreon.com slash Cavalcade of Tales, whereas for as little as $5 a month, you can join it, uh, help create a thriving discord community and become a part of a book club called the we don't talk about book club book club where we read various stories we are currently in the middle of the july pick which is the five by hallie rubenhold the untold stories of the victims of jack the ripper a thrilling piece of historiography looking at the tales of the women who were killed by jack the ripper in the context of they were women who had their own lives and not that just some people who were killed by the same guy who loved to kill vulnerable women uh again that is the five by holly rubenhold even if you're not part of the book club i highly recommend reading it um yes so if you'd like to help support the podcast fiduciarily that is patreon.com slash cavalcade of tales um coming soon i will be running ads in these episodes like actual ads um through the monetization factor feature on the podcast uh, publisher I use. And uh, if you'd like ad-free episodes, uh, Patreon. You'd get them early, probably. You know what, if I start, yeah, when when I start doing ad-free, when I start putting in ads in the episodes, I will make myself record early so that patrons can get ad-free episodes earlier than the general public. And that is, again, patreon.com slash cavalcade of tits. All right, now time for our third and final tale. Um, and it wouldn't be this podcast if it didn't have something to do with Arthuriana. 
so this is the tale of Tristan and Isolde now this story has a lot of different like backstory and originally it wasn't even an Arthurian tale when it first came out so this story goes back a lot longer this will remind you more of Romeo and Juliet what which was where the cold open came from obviously um I shouldn't say obviously I don't know everybody's you know how many people were forced to read Shakespeare their freshman year of high school um I know in the American school system it's like a gimme um that being said I would I slayed as Lady Macbeth but it's one of those stories um it dates back to the 12th century and so what I'm going to do in true me fashion is I'm going to blend together a bunch of different stories into one story to tell the story of Tristan and Isolde. So the way this story works is Tristan, Sir Tristan, who is a knight of the round table, has to has been tasked with a task to get tasked with a task. Wow, fucking I'm good at the English language. Um He's been tasked to go get the uh, Irish princess Isolde to bring her to King Mark of Cornwall. The um, Cornwall is one of those um, cities that has some relation to Arthuriana as a whole, um, whether it be um, King Arthur's potentially from Cornwall, or if it's you know just a good place you know to. Camelot and Cornwall want to have good relations. Regardless, Sir Tristan is tasked with the tale. And in this case, um, it also works out for Tristan to do it since uh, the uh, King Mark is his uncle. So what happens is, as um, Tristan goes, he defeats the Irish knight Morlot. He travels to get Isolde, um, which is spelled a bunch of different ways. And he is to bring her back. Upon the trip, they are... So they meet a potion maker who gives Isolde a love potion. Because when you're off to marry a man you've never met before, there's a lot of things that could go wrong. This also could be a potential uh, Grania and uh, Finn scenario where uh, Isolde might be off to marry a man who's like twice her age, as you know. Oh, excuse me. Oh, big yawn. Sorry. So, you know, she may need to drug herself into loving him, which is a kind of like an overarching theme. However, uh, Tristan and Isolde actually ingest the potion themselves on accident. So they seek, so they start, you know, seeing each other as lovers and they start fucking. In some versions of the tale, uh, they, this is their chance where they run away together and they try to evade the king and while being chased by the king's men for adultery in other versions she goes and marries the king and then tristan just continuously cocks him by them having secret rendezvous um and then he has to charge him with adultery so um 
they in some versions for example one of the versions written by a 12th century poet named Berol, uh they use trickery as a means to maintain a facade of innocence and actually the love potion wears off but they still keep fucking however the king is just like absolutely fucking not so he's like once he's going to try to trap him and then when he acquires proof of their guilt he's going to kill tristan by hanging him and burn is old at the stake for adultery now i know that may seem intense but you have to remember that for a very long time in history adultery was seen as the woman's fault because the patriarchy um however the um in the tale he changes his mind and he's like okay it would be a shame to kill this young beautiful princess at the stake we don't because like what will it make me look like if i outwardly admit that my wife was cucking me with my nephew and i burnt her at the stake that's going to be very problematic so what we're going to do is we're going to charge tristan with treason and and we won't because we don't have to be specific what kind of treason and we'll send her in a leper cult because then she'll get sick and die that way However, Tristan, not to be outdone, is, a, uh, is able to hide a small knife on his person, which he uses to cut the rope that he is being hung with, and then leaps to his old rescue. They flee into the forest of Morois and take shelter there until Mark finds them. However, Tristan is like, they can't do anything until Tristan is like, fine, here's your wife back, we won't see each other anymore. And he moves to Brittany, which is the small English-speaking version of um, France, which is actually called that because it's Little Britain. And is uh, in Arthuriana, Brittany is not only the home place of Lancelot, but is also where a lot of the uh, chivalric um, Arthurian canon is written. And then, um, so Tristan moves to Brittany where he marries the daughter of Howell of Brittany. Um, he marries a woman named Isolde of the White Hands. So he finds a woman with her exact same name and marries her. So because I'm blending multiple stories together, I'm going to blend a another version, which also um, does some wild shit that is uh, very Greek. So in the tale, while Isolde, while Isolde of the White Hands and um, Tristan are happily married, he gets poisoned by a young woman. With poisoned by a lance, protecting a young woman. Wow, my notes are terribly written right now. I'm sorry. And so he sends his friend Caden to find Isolde of Ireland because the only thing that will cure the poison is the blood of the maiden who took your virginity which sounds weird but eh. what he does is he's like okay when you sail back to Brittany, if you're wearing white sails i'll know you got as old and that i will live if you're wearing black sails then i know 
that you were not able to get as old and that I am doomed to die. Which is a harken back to the Greek myth of Theseus, which I will cover in another episode, um, which I have planned, called Greek Heroes Are Assholes. So get ready for some rants and fun times in that episode. So, Isolde of the White Hands, not happy, thinking that, um, you know, Tristan is just trying to get back with this other woman with her name and starting to worry that Tristan only married her because she had the name of this other bitch. Um, when she looks out and sees that uh, Caden has come back with Isolde and is wearing the white sails, she lies to Tristan, saying that the sails are black. Tristan bereaved in grief that his old would not come to help him then dies of uh, like he succumbs to the poison because he essentially he loses his will to live then the original is old comes in finding tristan's corpse and then warns the loss of her first love and then stabs herself in the heart to die upon him very romeo and juliet so one of the things, uh, speaking of Romeo and Juliet, that I will end this little segment on before doing the like end of episode stuff, is that Tristan and Isolde, Romeo and Juliet, and another story called Pyramus and Thisbe are all essentially variations of the same story, which has these two lovers who will be kept apart because of familial reasons and then will be forced to both die because one will either die or feign death or one will hear about the death of the other, come to the aid, find them dead, and then kill themselves. And then in some cases, if the other person wasn't actually dead, will find the original one dead and then die themselves. It's uh, very sad, and Shakespeare was not original. Um, to go even further in the fact that uh, Romeo and Juliet isn't original, um, in A Midsummer Night's Dream, they play that the uh mary band want to do for theseus's wedding again theseus uh, wait for the greek heroes or assholes episode um they're gonna do pyramus and thisbe as the play because you know friggin shakespeare is a cheeky little boy and that is the last of our stories that is the story of tristan and his old and we'll finish up our episode on tragic love but yeah, that's going to do it for this week. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope you guys like Trope Chat. Um, I know it was a little different than normal because um, I chose three stories from folklore, essentially, <laughs> instead of mixing up some myth and stuff. But um, I also just, like, I had on my conspiracy wall of sticky notes of ideas for this episode, I had Tristan and Azold and brunhild and sigurd as two separate episode ideas so i'm like why don't i just do a troop chat where i cover these things together so i hope you enjoyed these stories um i will next week uh, i haven't decided what i'll do next, but it's not going to be one of the three reoccurring segments it's not going to be a trope chat a the mythos of or a rook call the plot so it'll be just a standalone episode um i hope you guys enjoyed this little foray thank you for letting me try out some new stuff I hope you guys like it. If you have suggestions of types of trope chats or uh, mythos of, uh, feel free to get in contact with me. You can contact me at White Trash Historian on uh, Instagram or TikTok. And you can um, uh, please support the Patreon at patreon.com slash cavalcadedtales. And I'll talk to y'all next week. Yeah. Uh, and remember, maybe it's like, Maybe it's love, maybe you should think it through, and uh, 
Nobody's dick can cure depression. All right. This has gone on wildly. Uh, this is what I get for recording in the morning. All right. Bye.